What is up, fam? My name is John, and welcome to another episode of Chili's in the Bowl. Today's guest is one of my main brothers, Dan Dominguez, from the podcast Roaches and Ramen. For me, this one was a really fun one to do. Uh, We got to do a lot of reminiscing about his time working for Victory Records, his time as a music promoter under the banner Grizzly Productions in the IE Pomona area, and just talking about some tour stories and what grind that was like. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello, hello. Is this thing on? It is on, and I'm glad to be here because it's on. That's right. What's up? My buddy, Dan from Roaches and Ramen. What up, everybody? Thank you for coming into the Chili's in the Bowl studios. No, seriously, thank you for having me here. It's really an honor. It's really an honor because I've seen it from from literally birth to what it's now becoming, and I'm just excited to be here. Well, I have to thank you for inspiring me to do this. Well, dude, how can I not? You're, you're my boy. Um, I've seen you. I mean, I've... I've known you for such a long time. I've known that you're just such a talented dude. And just to be here in a new chapter of your talent is just, I don't know. It's incredible, dude. I'm glad that you're doing this. I want i want this to become such a big chapter in, in what you will become. And I just, I'm just glad to be here, dude. Thank for you for sure, having brother. me here. And thank, thank you. you for this amazing golden road mango card which are delicious dude i think i'm gonna get one right now so keep talking while i go to the fridge okay yeah yeah ladies and gentlemen i'm so glad that chili's in the bowl is finally at a point where it's it's going it was just a a a thought before and an idea and to be here with this beautiful setup beautiful room it's the vibes are good here, man. All right, I'm back. Let me see yeah. if you could hear this. I don't know if you're able to I catch heard that. it. <laughs> I heard it. I know. I know. At home, everybody heard it. And if you heard it, that's the cue for you to go get yourself a nice cold brew, sit down, and let's just shoot the shit. That's right. Let's Cheers, Bob. Cheers, brother. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna get to get to some of this. I'll hear it. That's right. Salud, Papa. Salud. <laughs> back in LA, man. Back here in the, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm being salty, but I'm here in the back in the suck. But I'm I'm glad to be here. It's raining. It's it's windy, and it just sets the tone for what Cal what California is going through right now. <laughs> I, for real, man. It's such a shit show here in California. Oh man, it's uh, it's sad. But you know what, man? We got to make the best of it. We're right. here. Um, you know. For those of you listening, he has a podcast with our buddy Jobin. Jobin. Shout Joe Madrid. Joe. Yes, shout out to Jobin. Uh, called Roaches and Ramens. Yes. Um, for those of you who don't know, I want you to tell them, Dan, what the right. podcast is about. Great. Yeah. So Roaches and Ramen um, is a podcast that celebrates and highlights the, the come up for people that everybody has a beginning, my dude. Everybody has a beginning, either if, you know... Either if you're a musician or a tattoo artist or any any type of like skill that you have, like people start from 
the beginning and they all everybody has a story so um what roaches and ramen is all about is i like celebrating the come up you know um why roaches and ramen because there was a time that i was at a super low point i'm talking about i already know if i was going to make rent i was sleeping on a mattress in a converted garage i I remember man i remember those days i was there with you oh and and it was cold. I didn't, and I didn't know if I would, if I had work the next week. It was one of the points. And sometimes at those times when you feel so desperate, anything you're running out of food, there's just one. I don't know if it's a comfort thing, but it was just like some ramen. You, you got some ramen. You got <laughs> you got some two pieces of bread, or if not, you just have some weenies in the in the fridge. You just roll it up, and boom. There it is. It's, um, it's something that brings you comfort. It gets you to the next day, and it's about survival. So I celebrate anyone that has come up from the suck and then came from zero to hero. And I believe Joven. Joven is, you know, he he would attest to the same thing. And speaking of uh, homies in the comments, yeah. here's everyone. Hold on, let me answer this real okay, quick. Okay, yeah. Yo, what up, Doc? What's up, dude? What's up? What's good? What are you guys doing? We're here doing the podcast right oh, now. You you're, know. you're live right now, bro. You're live. What's up, everybody? Hey, what up? What's up? What are you doing? Oh, I'm dropping a deuce. Oh, the way it should be. (laughs) Well, hey, bro, hey, if you're free Uh, after, roll through. Or not even after, just roll through now. Yeah, roll through. All right, all right. That my, that my friends is Aaron Tattooer. Yeah, he was recently. He was just the last episode for uh, the Roaches and Ramen, and I gotta tell you that episode was one of the most uplifting episodes i've had since i started roaches and ramen and uh, i mean guys if you don't know now you know and he is an amazing artist well if you want to talk about from the come up man like i you know i don't know if we've ever told you the story like i've known aaron since we were in seventh grade we were actually in the same soccer team dang so and you know after the you know our soccer you know, after the season was over, right. you know, we would see each other once in a while and then we lost touch. And it wasn't until shit like after graduation, like right. maybe the first year out of high school for me, uh, when we, I started getting into performing with bands and, right. you know, doing all that jazz. Uh, one of our old mutual friends, his name was Scott, brought him over and I was just like, yo, like, Damn. I remember you. And then, you know, that rekindled the friendship. But yeah. Dude, I remember this dude, uh, you know, and I know he talked about it on the Roaches and Ramen podcast, but where he was living in, you know, his parents' house. Or in uh, his car. He or, or in his car. Yeah, he mentioned something about, like, yeah. early on, he was dude, like, Dude, hey, I was I there for something. that. Yeah. You know, I was there for that. Um, dude, just being in the in the grind, being right. in the trenches, and to see where he's at with tattooing, dude, dude. it's amazing, man. Because I felt like I witnessed his comeuppance. And then to see him being very successful, it, I'm just super proud of him. And yeah. that dude is my brother. I love that yeah. dude. And, um, you know, w- with Roaches and Ramen, I feel I have that. It's like, you know, we're kind of like a like a brother a brother podcast. Oh, yeah. This know? is definitely. I I, told, I I believe we had a conversation on the phone. I'm like, dude, you're like my sister podcast. They're just sisters, dude. Like, yeah, Roaches and Ramen, sure. Chillis in the Bowl. Like, we're both soups. You know, <laughs> one's ramen and then one's chili. And um, it's, dude, it's just an honor to be here to you, seriously. Thanks, and it, it, and that guy is so inspiring. And, and, it, and, and that's what, that's what 
podcasting the power what we spoke about in that in the episode is that that was the po- the power of podcasting where um essentially that's 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 so relatable knowing that there's so many people out there that have a group of friends that knew each other from you know from back in the day and now they're full adults are fully out there they're fully like getting it and to see there's some friends that get it and then there's some friends that are still not there but like you you just love them and you just want the best for them and then you you kind of inspire them to just get up and you lift them up and I, that's what I like about podcasting. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it, particularly with our group as well. Right. I mean, you've known us since we were kids. Dude. Uh, kids, you know, kids, 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 bro. Like you were that surrogate father to the you know a bunch of misfits. <laughs> well, uh, right, yeah, you know, because you know you were the promoter for Pomona when we would yeah. play in the hardcore scene, the yes. deathcore scene. Uh, you were always helping out my band, Seditionist. Right. Um, so you've seen us when we were. You know, seventeen, all the way up to now, we're Dude. close to thirty years old. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And so I, I feel that there's this bond and this kinship that we have. Right. It's almost family. It's not just we're homies. Exactly. It's because you have seen us as as kids, mm-hmm. just trying to do the damn thing when it comes to music, yeah. and you also being a promoter. Right. Here in in L. A. or Pomona, I. E. Area. Right. Um. There's just like a level of bond that you just, I don't know. It's kind of, I'm sure people can interpret that and know what we're talking about. But it's just for me because I, you were someone that I really looked up to. And I think also when we first started talking, um, you really kind of took me under your wing. Like you were always very protective of me, always looking out for me. And so taking it to the podcasting game, you were the first person I uh talk to right you know you no, well thank you I, I i what it what it is is that i had to protect the people that were that that were real talented i mean when you you're talking about the la basin the la area or you know just southern california where you have many you had many many bands but the people but i always respected people that put in work and at that moment, like when I got to meet you guys and I got to see you guys perform and I got to see you guys and, and, and not only just have conversations with you, you just can tell by a person that, you know, w- regardless of whatever is in your path, you were going to go get it. Yeah, for And sure. how can you not like nurture something like that? Because at that moment, at that moment, I was trying to get it. I was trying to hustle and I was trying to do it in my own way before before promotions. I was in a band got signed, got dropped, you know, and I got to learn a lot of like the politics of being in a group, excuse me, and, and, uh, not having like the, the, the right team. And at the, at the moment, at that time when you guys were coming up, I just saw something so much different. I saw, I saw a group of guys that r- regardless, it wasn't of romanticizing of what can it, it what one day we'll do it and one day we'll do this and romanticizing of the what ifs and the wishes it was like i'm gonna get it done how we can get it done mm-hmm. and then having those one-on-one conversations outside of uh, latin juniors or whatever where i was uh, booking you you were the one you're one of the few that would want to have a constant conversation of how can we how can we succeed what do we do and at that moment it was just like dude let's let's get it you know let's, sure. let's get it you guys should get it you guys are so talented so um so i just i'm glad to to have grown up 
with you guys. And and yes, I told Aaron on, when when it was his podcast that it's we're not just friends. We're past that. Mm-hmm. We're 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 family now. We're a community of talented people, which I want to surround myself with with highly talented people that want to get it and. Come on, look at look look at this setup. Look at this. this Thanks, is great, man. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, and I think everybody now reach reaches a point where they rather prefer quality over quantity, right. if that makes sense. You yes. know, uh, and that includes with with you know friendships and who you choose to call family. Yeah, and you know, Jobin, you shout out to Jobin, Jobin, yes, co-host of Roaches and Ramen. That's right, Aaron. You know, Tony. Like that's family to me, and, right. and even. Uh, you know, focus those guys, right. you know, shout out to focus, shout sure. out to focus like those guys, you know, we constantly grind and, and trying to, to build that bond, you know, right. but I think that's what's most important now is yeah. the connection rather than having multiple people that you supposedly call family. And then it just the evolution was the greatest to see, like I'm talking about, like, look at you, you're pretty much wifed up and I love it. I love seeing the, the, the you know, how you've become a man and and Aaron now being like adulting and buying his home and you knew me before I even had wife and kids it's and crazy so. man I still remember you in the back house it wasn't even a back house it was just a back room <laughs> yeah. it was a, a bed on the floor yeah. fucking a but but you know what I did respect was although you know there wasn't a lot back in the day right. for you you still had brochures of uh talent agencies right uh you know stuff that you would pick up from from nam you know right. the, the musical right. convention talking to ar people like you were still trying to get it for people that you were managing right get it for people in the pomona i.e la community right. the hardcore community um so for me i saw that and i always was like i respect his hustle because on top of that you were also working at one of our favorite bars oh, yeah. in Pomona, right oh, across yeah. the street from the Glass House, oh, yeah. O'Donovan's. O'Donovan, shout out to O'Donovan's. And yes. we, man, you, you were there. Like, how many times before we even performed at the Glass House? Like, would we would just get shit faced? <laughs> you would yes. be on the clock, and we would just go, and we would just be like, "Yo, like, you want any fries? You guys want anything? Not I'm even. I'm, Let's I'm go get it. Uh, yeah. Beer. Get get us a picture. Like, we would get." Yeah. I mean, and also too, you were, you know, for your promotion, like you would book Glass House, you would book Aladdin Juniors, right? It, you know, it's not, uh, it's not like it's not. I'm not proud of it, but a lot of the times we would perform like really intoxicated. And the majority <laughs> of the time was because yeah. we were at O'Donovan's, just right. partying it up with you, yeah. your brother, yeah, and, you know, just getting you know pre shit faced before we had to play, right? Um, but. Aside from all that, right. the point I was trying to make was you not only were you a promoter trying to, you know, trying to get your name out, trying to get Grizzly promotions out there. Yeah. Oh, man. You were baby. also still grinding, uh, you know, a nine to five. Yes. A, a bar job, you know, doing that, doing whatever you had to do to make the shit work. hundred percent. hundred percent. And I and I got it. I can't take all the credit if it wasn't for uh, Zach at Astro Media. Um, he worked so hard when when we started. It was he was just a young cat too. He was just he was throwing shows in La Puente out of his backyard, and he was booking such good talent. And when we both came together, and um, at first he 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 hit me up, and he was just really enthusiastic about getting deeper into the scene. I, it maybe it's just he had such a want where. 
um, where it now reflects to he's one of the top media companies in where whatever he does when, when it comes to like recording or editing, meaning uh, video recording. Yeah, he's he's top man. The the things that he he's now doing and the people he's working with, he's so deep. Where I am so proud of him because. Um, I knew he was going to do something and I know he, I knew he was going to do something big to So shout out to Zach. Cause I, I know you're listening, buddy. I love you and I want nothing but the best for you. So uh, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have had Grizzly. Grizzly was definitely my baby, dude. It was yeah. definitely my baby because I had learned from, uh, luckily, even though when I was in a, a, a touring musician, uh, I, I just, I, I knew that for some reason I could foresee that it was going to be an end somehow or some way, you know? And I, I know that we're naive when we're young. We're like, I'm going to tour for the rest of my life. I'm going to make it all. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to admit I was one of those guys, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's good yeah. times, man. Yeah. Good no, times. Touring. And, but, but because I foresaw something like that, I had to, I had to look for something else. And luckily I was, um, I was hanging out with some friends. And we were just running amok. We were just drinking. And we went over to the Pike in Long Beach. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. And um, I, so we saw this dude that was trying. He was getting stuff out. And he was getting stuff out from a Victory Records truck. Like they had, they usually used to have, Victory Records was one of the most prominent like record labels for the core or emo yeah, scene. Yeah, I mean, I, not so, to date no, ourselves, but right. I still remember when I bought... Atreyu's, uh, was it Death? Oh, the the last second to last album, I forgot which one it was. Oh, Death Grip on yesterday, I think that's what it was. Sick, yes. It had the Victory Records DVD in the back with all, yes. all the Victory bands. Yes. So it had like Aiden, it had you know, um, Barry, you know, Barrier Dead, all yeah. these fucking. It had, but Amir, I, had I still, re- yeah, it had everybody. all these bands, and I remember yeah. back in the day, like that was. One of the labels you wanted to get on wanted to so we so right away when we saw that truck, the other people were like, "No, let's go to like the beach and stuff." You know, the, we had like a group of girls and we had like some dudes. And at that moment, we're like, well, "We're gonna go get some right now. Let's go to the beach and put a little sand <laughs> in it." You know, but um, I saw this truck and immediately he was um, offloading things and you could tell he was late. You know, his name was Jordan and he was um taking out like all the promotional stuff out of his truck but he was he was like didn't he just didn't know if he was gonna make the end of the at that moment it was taste of chaos that had come through the long beach convention center right and and we're like hey man you know oh we love victory blah blah we kind of started you know getting on top of his totem pole about it like oh, all excited and and, he, and he's like, yeah, man, I just, like, I'm a little late. Um, the show's about to end. And this is when Victory Records was just really smart of Tony Brummel. Shout out to him. I know he's hated in, in many ways for whatever politics of, of the scene. But um, all I know is that this guy needed help. And and this is when Victory would, anytime you would go to either to War Tour or to any, like, big show, if Victory was there or a Victory band was there, um, they would have like a little baggie and then they would have all these promotional CDs. Fuck. Did yeah. I just say CD? <laughs> you, you, just, you just dated both of those, dude. <laughs> and what, if, oh. okay, to put it into context, what year was this? Um, It was, had to have been 04. Okay, so that for me was middle school going into high school. Wow, yeah. I yeah. was like, 
which I, was like peak for me. Right. Like peak. Right. Hard, you know, peak screamo, peak, you oh, know, man. all that shit. Oh, man. Oh, oh, four. Dude, oh, oh, four. Junior high. What were you listening to? <sighs> Let's see. In oh, four, yeah. I had uh, I in my rotation of CDs. I had Coheed and Keyword Cam- CDs. CDs. I would. OK, so I would have my backpack. Right. And I would always carry my CD case with me, <laughs> dude. Yeah, so I would always have Coheed and Cambria. Yeah, uh, was it uh, In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth three or two, whatever? Right. That was the one second album. Right. I had that on rotation. I had a lot of Misfits, right. uh, both Glenn and Michael Graves era. Okay. I had The Doors. I was really big on The Doors and like Led Zeppelin. Staples uh, of music. Staples. Yes, I had. There was this band. I don't think they're around anymore. I doubt. Uh, they were called On the Last Day, and they were a victory band. Yeah. Uh, they had this one song that got. They were like one hit wonders. Like they had this one song that was called Meaning in the Static. Right. That I have. Anybody wants to go and do like a deep dive on YouTube, check that song out. On the Last Day, Meaning in the Static. I had Glassjaw. I love oh Glassjaw. Oh my gosh, Since dude. Day one. And oh my Deftones. gosh, dude. Glassjaw. Glassjaw and I'll that shit up all day. Yeah. Okay, so at that time, he, they, were, they were handing out CDs. So we're like, dude, we have s- seven people here, brother. You, you are aging. And he says, uh, do you guys want to help? I'm like, what do we need to do? Well, um, if you guys help me with this, I got a box of of like posters and all the and these girls because we all oh and the guys we all like were about this music so we were like young we're like got wet over all this stuff and we're like yeah we'll do it you know and he was like fuck it like this will go and we went out there um about three thousand people came out and he got rid of boxes that are that big like um, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing at like a medium-sized box full of just these little baggies well, full of promotional material went, we helped them. And that was the beginning of me wanting more kind of like how you, when you started in doing music, you just wanted to get more in depth and, and, and how you didn't care how you did it. You just wanted to ask questions. You caught that music bug. And we got, and when we get to it yeah. from there, it evolved from, from me working with victory records, learning, mainly learning if I didn't go to college this was my college year these were my college years so it was time for me to embark on this and even though I was playing in a band in my and that at the time that band would hassle me like just give them my demo give them our demo you work for them you know at first I was just volunteering and then it became like hey we'll uh pay you this much if you every time we're in town you're able to do that you know and we'll do that and okay cool and then from there they started sending me material like at my at, at wherever home i was either couch surfing or i would ask the person that i was either dating at that time yeah. like hey can can they just send this stuff and i'll just pick them up yeah 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 boom and they just started sending like big packages to the point that i overwhelmed yeah. the packaging yeah. and then the, the the that person that i was dating their mom was like what the f- is this yeah you know i mean like, it got to the point where they were just like oh we'll just send it to them but send it to but Dan. it was the time that like um I, um she had like one of those point and shoot cameras and they, that's all they wanted they wanted an email knowing that their promotion stuff was getting put and uh, I would go. I see. so 
any local show I would go in and start doing it I would go to chain RIP chain I would go to chain I would go to the glass I would go to the uh, the whiskey go-go I would go everywhere however if even if I had to take a bus but you were gonna get that but I was gonna get it yeah. you know and from then <clears throat> um, all of a sudden they're like give me your email I got something for you and shout out to Mark Bub at that time Mark Bub he uh, sent me an email and all I knew is I had a I had a pass for six to eight dates to warp tour. Wow. And that's where it, I raged. On yeah, it. I'm like, I'm going to sure. get it. I'm going to get it. So how to do something. No, I feel you, man. And I mean, talking about that music bug for me, uh, I mean, since I was a kid, I've always been just a music lover. Like you could ask anybody. I right. was always, bump, you know, I always had like a toy guitar in my hand, whatever it may be. Uh, but, you know, it really wasn't until I want to say about eighth grade where I really wanted to, you know, be in a band. And at that point, I... Who gave you the music, but what was the band that you were like, I want to do that? I think it was the Misfits, man, to be honest. Well, right on. okay, so Misfits was the band that got me to want to be in a band. Mm -hmm. But I, ne like, I, I didn't know how, what instrument I wanted to play. Like, I always thought, you know, when I was younger that... Oh, I'm a guitar player, but I fucking sucked at guitar, to be honest. Really? With you. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm I suck at guitar. <laughs> it's so it's so strange to he to hear that you're saying that you sucked. It's just weird because I only known you as like one of the most elite bassists <laughs> in like Southern California, hands down. And I'm a bassist myself, dude. You know? But it's it's funny because yeah, I mean, I I thought I was a bassist. I'm sorry, I thought I was a guitar player, right. and then once I started getting into high school, I would try out for these bands as a guitar player. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I wasn't getting accepted or I wasn't, you know, they didn't want me. And it wasn't until I had a, a buddy at the time. His name was Ian Para. Uh, he was like, yo, try out for my band. And it was this band called Happy Hannah. Yeah. Happy Hannah. Happy from Hannah. From here? From like. From here. From Kobe. Yeah. And mm -hmm. mind you, I was already, I was a sophomore in high school. Um, and he was just like, yo, we need a bass player, you know? And so typical me, like naive, I'm like, okay, well, it's just like guitar, just with four strings. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I tried out for this band and then, you know, I got in, but it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't good. Like I taught myself how to play bass. Like, right. and so, um, yeah, I, I, but I think, you know, get, you know, Misfits was the, the band that got me to want to start playing music uh, or performing in bands, that, I should say. That but, heavy downstream. Yeah. But once I started to really dive deep into bass because of Ian, um, it was actually Timmy C from Rage who oh, got me yes. really into bass and yes. want to do bass like yes. as my, my main instrument. Yes, man. So, um, that's and, had to have been... Yeah, the same around that time. That's when they were already becoming legendary. Dude, and, and it's funny because um, I feel like a lot of my style and the way I perform it very much emulates Timmy C's where he's very much a pocket player, very much uh, just in the zone. Like he can get flashy at times for sure, but majority of the time he's just fucking in the pocket. Pocket. And I, I find myself in that same, like, I'm that kind of player. And where, that tone. Yeah. Dude, just so gnarly good. fucking tone. Uh. But for me, I've 
I, my method is I'll get flashy if the song calls for it. Right. But for the most part, I'm a pocket player. Like I've always been a pocket player. Dude, and people just don't understand sometimes. I, 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 I believe that bassists will understand is that to be such a strong bassist, you have to be the most essential thing to be is to be a pocket player. It really is because it just it, it just centers the music centers the timing and to be a pocket player. I mean, there's a lot of bases. The professional ones, you got to be flashy. You got to pluck. You got to sure. slap. You got to, you know, all that. But to just strum on in time and then become this, that base, that solid yeah, base behind 100%. it. it was, it's, it's, yeah. And I mean, and that's something that I really honed in once I started to perform like in the reggae community, um, really just kind of being, I call it militant where Very. you don't deviate. I mean, unless it calls for it, right. but, um, you know, I feel like there's two methods to how I play. Like if I play hardcore or deathcore, right. I'm fucking all over the place. And oh, I, yeah. but with, you know, I just get as aggressive as I possibly can Got to, to really, make it cut through the music i believe that in metal as a as a basis it's it that's when skill and technique take over more than pocket because you, you, people don't understand how fast your you know your left hand's going or right hand for sure you know like i if mean you, if you're fret or if your hand's on a fret you're gonna be you're gonna you're gonna get sore and i mean that's how it was when i was playing with uh you know stiss so this is suffering um you know they're very tech dude shout out to them but, for yeah sure, shout yeah. out to them still still keeping it going but uh it was very much riffage like fucking Riff. fast fast you know to the point where dude at certain times like my left hand or oh, i'm sorry my right hand would cramp because i'm Ooh, going yeah. just hella fast i believe you know? it and then i believe it switching it to seditionist um it was a little more uh i would say groovy right was uh would probably be the the term i'd use like it was heavy Right, but we were. It was more like the bass was a little more groovy, like with songs yeah. like "Dweller" or you know "Beautiful." Yeah, where it's very, amazing tracks, by the way. Thank you, man. Um, you know where it's it's very much just like bouncy, right? Um, but if I kept my my whole take on that, and I mean, I wanted to have the most ballsy and heavy tone that I could possibly Some have, tone. and then keep it bouncy right keep it in the pocket right um but when i transitioned into reggae i really had to strip it down um where did it feel like back to basics when reggae yeah yeah i mean and but don't get me wrong like reggae i feel is so intricate with bass right um i Talk still about pocket playing yeah Dang. i mean and i find myself constantly learning through big g through the guys and folks shout out to big g yeah man he's, uh, the, he, he's literally the reggae godfather man. yeah i mean it's it's of, this, of cal of at least for southern california yeah, just yeah the dude that's my that's my that's my papa right there papa. Dude. <laughs> yeah yeah no yeah. but um you know it was really much I remember the, the the problems that I was having or running into when I first started playing that genre is I was trying to get too flashy. And I think that came from the metal side of me where right. I'm just constantly riffing. Um, and it wasn't really until I started to link with Big G where I started to really hone uh, that dynamic of playing where, like I said, I call it militant, where it's just like, this is what the riff is. And, you know, 
do the best that you can to play in the pocket, but don't deviate. I Pe- mean, and people think that that's just so easy and simple, but it's really not. No, when not you're at trying all. Trying to be like you say militant when you're trying to be like that militant player. It's 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 really important for you. You're you're everything when it comes. I feel oh. that when it, when it, when it comes like for metal for metal. Drummers and vocalists are the focal point of that, sure. that sound. Because you like blast beats yeah. and fucking breakdowns. And, and that's you know huge. I believe that in reggae, it's all about your bass player. It's, who, it's the bass player you have. Oh, dude. And sure. I'm some of the bands that I've seen that I've had the pleasure of, of performing with, I'm just at constant awe. Um, shoot. Name it. Uh, there's a band out there. Oh, you remember. Eureka Sounds. Eureka Sounds. Dude, that, when we performed with them. Oh, yeah. And was it Huntington Beach? At, yes, it was. It, it was Westminster. Like, no, Some, well, yeah, it was. Right? It was in the beach area. Yeah, over there. Yeah. Uh, you know, listening to their set was just like holy shit. They, they were in a level, in another level. Yeah, one hundred percent, for sure, hundred percent. Uh, and shoot. that drummer was. Just, yeah. Oh my gosh, dude! Shout out to Whoa. Blake if he's listening. Whoa, yeah. yeah, but you know, there's like guys like them, Eureka right. Sounds. There's guys like Split Fish, and you know, their bass player is fucking sick. Right. Um. Shoot. Who else, man? Um. You know, you got Roots of Mine. Uh, you got Austin. Right. Uh, you know, uh, Aaron Austin. You know, you got a bunch of right bunch of people out there, and I feel like I'm constantly looking to, at those compared guys. to like Dillinger and Escape Plan of that. You know, or it's or just like, a different ballpark. Yeah, or you know? uh, Between the Bear and Me, where it's just like, what and you it, just did that? Like, uh, yeah, and you know? it's, I feel like for each genre, there's different things that I um, really appreciate. You know, like you're naming Dillager Skate Plan, uh, Between the Buried and Me, all those oh. bands. Like, that's a whole different realm. Um, when you're coming into this scene with the reggae scene, it's, uh, I admire it because they have the ability to really stand out. Right. Um, by the techniques that they have. For me, it's like to see them and to see what they're doing, to see how in the pocket they are. For me, because I still. And I, I constantly say, and a lot of people tell me to shut up when I when I say it. I was like, I don't right. consider myself a reggae bass player. Oh my gosh, slap yourself! No, like I don't. I really don't, <laughs> You're dude. So good. No, dude. I I really don't oh my consider gosh. myself because I feel like sometimes, uh, I have this like, I want to say it's an insecurity, but it's more like a feeling of like, fuck it, am I faking the, you know, am I faking the funk, you know, oh. because I I jumped into this really just trying to be a student and really just trying it's to pick so the brains. It's so mature for you to say that, and this is why I say that, and so I can echo off in that. Even when you, when you mentioned earlier, as a young player, you were already wanting to be like a, a very conservative player, not so flashy, but in the pocket. I got uh, that. That's that's key, and I and I believe that you feel like that because that's I from the outside perspective is that's just the artist in you being coy. Get me with yourself, but but tour like being on tour, working for Victory, and being with bands like Bury Your Dead, and when Amir just first started and they had the original lineup, yeah, and uh, or when I saw it like um, A Day to Remember when they mm. were just coming out, yeah, I mean they were or all those. Okay, so all those, I as a bassist myself, I I'd, I would be on the side stage and just looking at them and. They get off and I'm like, dude, you're so good. Oh my gosh. And I, you yeah. know, I'd be like a fanboy about it, but they were like, oh, that's cool. I mean, I just do this and it's just very like simple. And then I was just, and, and it, it, it led me to believe that these guys were just dudes that were kind of like yourself that just want, they, they just got on a base and they wanted to be in a band 
and they weren't just being flashy. They just wanted to be a student of the sound, you know, and that and and for some reason that made them really great bass players that people would just from the outside perspective, they'd be like, dude, you're so amazing. But they were just like, no, I'm playing 4-4. And oh, I'm 100%. Strumming, you know? like, uh, I mean, I will say, like, I do accredit, you know, the reason why I play bass uh, is because of that duty. And, um, you know, I haven't spoken to him in a long time. But, right. uh, you know, if it really wasn't for him to be, you know, telling me, yo, like, we need a bass player. And like, look I, at you now. Like, I probably would have never picked up the bass, to be honest whoa. with you. Because, I mean, not only were just, yeah, you were trying to be a pocket player, but when I heard you, when I started booking um, your bands, um, like, it wasn't just your playing. It was, you had all of it, all the spectrums of it. Your one, first of all, your tone was immaculate. It was just like, <laughs> what? Like, this is the real deal. Because you had people, bands out there that were just beginning or they were opening bands or whatever. And they just have a 115 and they're just mm. strumming. You could hear like that they muffled because they would muffle a couple things because it wasn't just, it wasn't on the pocket. They were just like, I just want to be on stage and, you know. Yeah. And they were just concentrating on one element of being a, a bass player, which mm. was the performance side. Versus you, I... You're, you're doing sound check and then you strum your first note or you just turn on your bass and then you have to turn around because if you're really about music and you know the instrument, you're just like, did I just hear that amazing tone? And then a couple hours later, your band goes up and then you are moving. You, you would use the st your stage space so good, so good where I was just like, this guy's the real deal. And it was so you had the performance side, you had your tone, you're in the pocket and from there i was that's the type of respect that I, as a promoter i was like there's something with this dude not just something with this dude there's something with this whole group you know there's something yeah. with this whole sound and therefore that's why I, you, at that moment you, you there's no way you could have faked the funk you know mm. or or those other bands that were in the victory label faking mm. the funk i don't think so yeah. either you have it or you don't like comedians either you're funny Oh, you're not. Yeah, I mean, I think that at that time, um, you know, and it's funny because you know sometimes Aaron and I will have that conversation where it was it, that time was a very uh, it was special, and what right. I mean by special, uh, it was just it was kind of like lightning in a bottle where we were able to connect with people in our hometown and really champion them. At least I thought. Definitely, uh, really. Were, you were part of the small group, man, and I can yeah. I can I can name the bands. It was it, it was it was you guys. It was a, uh, it was at first. So it was suffering when they were coming up. Yeah, uh, you had um, you had destruction of a king. Yeah, shout out to Justin. He was mm -hmm. super a pocket player right there. You had so uh, um, you had seditionist. You had you know that. Fisher Maker, dude, it was, and that's that was just that small group that had it together, you know. And it was crazy because back in and that time, dude, it could literally be that same lineup every time, and people will show up, dude. People, and I still remember, dude. and I, I have like even talking about it now, right? I'm having flashbacks of. The, the you know the shows that we would have it would right. be Stis it'd be Seditionist Edge and Shawfall Face Your Maker Genocide District 
fuck uh Hailed, dude like seven or eight bands on a bill yes and if we would go on like at the st- the show would start like at four and it wouldn't end till like ten eleven. It had to, and, and it was everybody, yeah, it was packed all the time. It was just packed of punches, P- packed just like on it every band, and it and something that uh, as a promoter, at like Zach and I knew that we didn't want to oversaturate it. We didn't want to like bore people with lineups, but we did that on purpose monthly or two times out of the month and keeping these lineups up because after those shows became like great successful shows then it was time to separate the lineups get the brand new uh breed like the like the smaller bands Mm -hmm. and now that's when i was able to sort of graduate the 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 ticket or the or the the card the lineup card to for to give you guys the opportunity to start headlining, absolutely. So uh, the first few shows, in um on, on for the Grizzly Days, it was those lineups, and then it just became just seditionist or face your maker with with a with a with a supporting lineup. But it became and it just it that's I we just felt that we were creating a path for for you guys to become that type, and and and, and in a way we were. We were just sifting through the through through the ones that would deserve to be in uh, in the stage and not and not and we did that on purpose and we mm-hmm. we started the narrative of like well this is the band that that, that we have which is seditionists are going to be would you like to be in this lineup and right away the small the smaller bands would be like yes oh my gosh yes oh my god you know yeah and it and, and we would put you guys on a headline spot for that same reason because we wanted to feature that set and that sound at all times you know with with which if he was either legend shall fall and you would see from there who would drown who wouldn't mm-hmm. you know yeah and that's and, and honestly because of that and because of you guys thank you guys for always supporting grizzly productions by the way thank you, of um that's why it, that, that little formula became who we became in the end well i still remember there was that one show where it was seditionist and face your maker we were gonna headline and it was so fucking packed. Right. And we didn't even end up playing because the cops yes. showed up. But like, I've, for yes. me, it was funny because I feel like that would have been one of like our great shows. Right. Because it was fucking packed to the gills, man. And bands were already performing because right. I know there was a couple bands that were touring that w- were added onto the bill. But, dude, the amount of people that were there and how stoked everybody was. It right. was just good vibes all around. And then at the end, we didn't get to play. And I remember uh, you had Aaron and D'Lo right. go up and make the announcement and oh, how bumped man. everybody was. I mean, dude, it was it was a it was, it was over. It was over. The, the reason why it was over capacity because it was over capacity. It got way too hot in there. People kept on going to, because it was, it was this place was in a corner. So I remember that um, it wasn't like Aladdin Juniors at the time that it had that that rail where everybody can you know oh, like, yeah. ha- hang, hang out. out and you know and at least you were in the just within within the limits of just the venue and over there it was open so it just looked like all these guys honestly if you were a cop and you just see all these people look like Antifa out there you know they they were like hey man I don't know like we need to shut this down and do they have a permit and it's and I honestly believe it was be- that. Not a belief, sorry. Zach told me that in the end, it was Glasshouse that, yeah, called, I remember that. that called the cops because we were taking their draw. Yeah. You know, from these headlining bands that, you know, or these tour packages that they paid so much money for. Yeah, like, I remember you telling me I, that. At, at that time, I, I can't blame them. because, But I, I, to me, 
what can I do? I was just doing me. You know, Zach was just doing, we were just doing Grizzly. Well, at me? that time too, because, okay, correct me if I'm wrong. Right. But I want to say that you had told me at that time you were no longer allowed to book at Glass House. Or there was something going on between you I, and the Glass actually, House. Actually, I was, and I think that's why they, that's why they, um, that's why they invited me. They're like, look, if you're going to be doing shows around town, might as well just do it in our venue. Yeah, because you know? I remember you were telling me something like that. Because where... we outgrew Aladdin Juniors by far, and and but mind you, at least they were uh, they were you could still hold that type of capacity because, um, because they had the restaurant side where people can hang out. Yeah, well, I mean, and it's funny because you literally booked that show behind Aladdin Juniors. It wasn't yeah. like you went to a different street. A different, no, it was right behind Aladdin yeah. Juniors. Yeah, what had happened is, uh, and, and I said and I said this in Aaron's episode, um, uh, it is. The fact it it was the owner that ran into money problems. The, the owner the, the originally now Atlanta Juniors is now PBW. Yeah. Okay. And I, don't I mean, know, and they, I don't they know they if they exist have, or not anymore. I, uh, I haven't gone since the pandemic, but right. f- dude, there's always a different owner. Like there's right. since Aladdin Juniors kind of shut down. They, they said it was like a cursed place for owners. Dude, like, it, I, they've had know? like three or four different owners. Like every, right. the few last few times that I went to perform or to go hang out. Yeah. It was always somebody different. Different, yeah. And it's honestly, it, unfortunately, it, it looks dead. Like even though it, right. it was up and running, right. you know, there it just looked dead. But I got, I got, I gotta give respects to those brick walls at Align Engineers. They they took they a beating. became the the staple of our scene. Like that yeah. was that was the venue you wanted to play in 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 the Inland Empire. Because besides that. It was just chain reaction where you were playing. Well, it was either well. So the I feel like the three staples were chain reaction. Yes, it were it was Glass House. Yes, and then it was a lot of juniors. Yes, for for our scene at our right. time, and it's funny because it went from where we were booking a lot of shows at the Glass House, uh, yeah. and then. It went from Glass House. We moved it over to Aladdin Juniors, but it almost seemed like the shows were a lot better at Aladdin right. Juniors because it was more intimate. And like I said, those brick walls would take beatings, beatings. from people. Beatings. I remember playing there, and the stage itself too would take a beating. That I stage remember, was amazing, by the dude. Way. I, it, fell I in remember, love with that whole stage. you know, Aaron and I we were performing. We talk about it to this day. We still laugh about it, but like we were performing, right. and. I don't know what the fuck I did, but I remember I did like a stomp on the stage. And Aaron, <laughs> Aaron was right next to me, and I fucking put a hole through the stage. Oh, and Aaron yeah. looked at me because he thought he was gonna fall. And we were looking at each other. We just started like grinning, <laughs> like laughing. Um, but dude, like that place took such a beating. beating. Yet it was at least in to me, it felt like it was so beloved. It, I, I, it was what uh, underground should have been. And you mentioned. You mentioned me. I was that I had a nine to five at that time. Either I knew good night, but I, I I will sincerely tell you this: I loved booking shows to validate great talent. Mm. That's that was the mantra of Grizzly Productions. Why? Because I didn't give a fuck about the money. Yeah. To be honest with no, you, no, that's that's for sure. I, I didn't. That. I wanted to bring good talent, and I wanted to validate the talent that they were doing such a great job outside of the stages and that was the only place you could validate those musicians by having a good show for them for sure for having and 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 it wasn't just that it was many things it was just like how do we get people here how do we how do we market how do we promote 
who do we get? Who draws? And and it became that 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 formula became what graduated what graduated us out of Aladdin to getting um that the Rosita's mm, or yeah. working with Rosita, sorry. And she it was actually it was actually Casa Jimenez, guys. I know that in uh, Rochester Ramen, if you do and go listen to it, I said Rosita's and we named it Rosita's, but it's, the Rosita was the, the the owner of that. Yeah. Right. And then then they told us, hey. We after the this incident because we don't have a entertainment license, we'll, you know, I don't think we can continue doing this. But we'll you can finish the rest of your quarter, and then it was just like two or three shows after that. But that's when the Glass House hit us up, mm. and then they're like, "Listen, if you're gonna be booking, might as well book here." And that's when I started um, doing business with uh, with a Golden Voice, yeah, you know, and because well, that's a Golden Voice venue, and and the way I was able to make up that show that you guys didn't play, you guys ended up um, headlining at the at the Glass House, yeah. and it was such a great show. The formula was this: it was the lineup. The marketing and the production like yeah. shout out to david woods for always bringing his lights his sound and he would just make every show that you guys would play or any band any band that would headline my shows it was like these but are the know, elements you're you know what's funny have. i think that the i want to say second or first glass house show that we did through right, there right uh, as a headline quote was like our last because I remember I don't even know how the fuck we even announced it but I just remember getting stopped by a lot of people like yo is this your last show and we're just like how did it yeah. leak how did that leak I, I, I don't remember, remember you guys were playing around with the idea but I didn't I was like I just remember I was very I was very naive I'm like is that gonna happen these guys are too good you know I yeah was just like, and then no, it was just I just remember like all of a sudden uh, they, everyone, everyone was just like Please tell me this is in your last show. Please. And then I'm just kind of like, I don't know. Like, I knew, but I wasn't going to be like, yeah, it's our last show. Dang, dude. Dude, but it was funny because it was like right. I feel that felt It was like right at the peak. Well, I wouldn't even say the peak, man. But like it was at a such it was such a good time to play shows there and in that area or just playing shows in general. Um, And I do feel that in that particular area, the IE you were kind of like that grandmaster, like the one pulling the strings, right. setting up those shows, right. you know, and uh, that's something that I never forgot. Um, and then switching it over post that uh, we would always just keep in touch. We would always right. talk, We, you know, and it became to the point where it no longer became a friendship. It became like, uh, like a brother, oh, or yeah. like a family, like, like you I became like a family to me. Oh, thank you. You and know, and you and I think a lot of that has to do because, um, we really just connected not only through the, the the music scene, but I just feel like we had a lot of similarities where we right. were both constantly just trying to fucking grind, grind, trying grind. to. Yes. And I know for hard. me, and I was telling you know, Aaron, you can't fake the funk if you're working. No, one hundred percent. You know, and for me, like I'm. I'm turning 30 this year and I, you know, reflecting Welcome back to <laughs> and reflecting back on the last 10 years, like right. I spent my twenties really just in music and, and more so in the deathcore hardcore scene. Right. And in my later twenties, more in like the reggae scene, but, uh, for the, you know, it's 10 years of just devoting my life into music. That's and I feel like when you do that and yeah. especially touring, uh, you have these kinships and these bonds with right. people, and you know, I told Big G, 
he's he's one of them. Yeah, you're one of them. Uh, you know, I, I I had Roly on on the last episode, and shout I, out to Roly, my yeah, dude. Having Roly, and it was that that episode was really fun. It's it's so funny because every <clears> time so I check it out, people is so good. Yeah, every time uh, I talk to that dude, he, he's <sighs> it's just always it's just fun. You it's know, fun. but he's one of them too. Yeah, you know? no, no doubt. Um, just. The community was so tight, all these, you know, because most, I would want, I want to say 25% of the people there were maybe even less were musicians or where they had bands that were playing. So I can, I could tell how easily that got leaked. I don't yeah. know how it got leaked, but it got leaked. And that's why the community started asking, but I was very naive and I still was naive until I started touring with Face Your Maker and I was in the East coast. We were in Philly, we were in South Carolina and we were in Georgia when they asked, when they're like, when the guys were like, yeah, you know, we're from LA, we play with bands. And once we would name Seditionist for Philadelphia to be like, wait, you guys know Seditionist? Dude, I love those guys. Oh, I love their music. And we were just like, what? Yeah, the, so I remember you telling me, and I'm just like, and what I'm the just fuck? like, like uh, at that moment, I was stunned, and I'm just like, why did they stop? <laughs> like, you, these people can't wait. And 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 these were, um, uh, who was? I'll come up with I, I forgot the the uh, the member of the band but um he was this cool dude um uh that w was in a band in Philadelphia it's got I, I'm taking a break far but um but he was the one that's like dude if you tell him we want to tour those guys and and to see their face when Dilo was like I don't think they're touring anymore and they were they were just like oh and, yeah, and at that moment that. at that moment i remember i came back around if i texted i was just like dude you guys gotta write another album seriously and i think that was that just came and these are people that knew the the first record and then like then they also definitely knew the retract relapse and they're like do you guys gotta like tell them we got you know we got them they come over here we got them and i i believe that happened because you guys went off from here to the east coast or at least to the southern part southern part of the country in the east and you guys got there and it just goes to show that all that work from be, just being some dude that just wanted to play mm -hmm. or we wanted to be a guitarist but became like a a, a a bassist and then the whole group was just like flourishing and you could tell Jobin Jobin was in the band yeah. and and he got to hear this so to him it, I don't know how he reacted I don't know how Phil how he feels about it I definitely don't like kind of I don't I don't like reminding Joe because he's one of those guys like listen I put a bandaid on it it healed I don't know you know yeah and I sure. respect him for that but it was one of those things that like ah oh, if you guys could have done I swear but I'm glad that you yourself said okay if I'm not going to do it here, I still love music. I'm going to go here. And you did it. Yeah. And now from that, dude, now you have your own podcast, man. It's just, it's what no, people 100%, need to hear. Man. Especially people that are out there, that 16-year-old, that 20-year-old that's still in a band, wants to do something. If Especially in this pandemic, yeah, you might not be performing, but you better be fucking writing. Uh, but I feel like, you know, now would be the perfect opportunity to at least get right. something going. Like for me, music has always been a big passion of mine. Um, and... With Seditionist, it was definitely a big part. Anybody that knows me knows that that was such a big part of my baby, life. Dude. Yeah, it was all our babies. Yeah. Um, but I'm at a point now where I'm happy what we did. I'm happy with what the outcome was, and I'm excited with what I'm doing now. You with know, that with Roaches and Roman lifestyle, because uh, from what I heard from Aaron, 
touring across the country on a van that you don't know if is going to make it with oh, 100%, with crazy dude. terrains out there with like dude we, weather hitting you guys it like <laughs> with eating you know pea and you know peanut butter and jelly sandwiches you know boom. i will say dude our our tour bus that we called Nighthawk. That motherfucker yeah. was such a trooper. That's um, right. I'm sure they told you stories. Yeah. I heard the I heard the episode. Yeah. The whole with the with the you know the pee situation. Yeah. But, uh, but dude, like oh. I remember, we were driving to Jobin's house, and right. if, you know, Jobin lives in New Mexico, and I give yeah. him mad props for making the it work Sunstate. for yeah. living in New Mexico. And then being in a band in L.A. And so when we were touring, we were driving from uh, California to no, not even California. We were driving from Washington. Right. Or Oregon. I'm sorry. Right. All the way to Jobin's house. Yeah. 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 And so I remember we were crossing uh, Arizona to go into New Mexico. And there was this big ass hill. And. This one was, of many, dude. There, okay, so this was maybe like one or two in the afternoon, and our radiator was broken. Like we would have to drive at night, and not only did we have to drive at night, if we were driving in the day, we had to keep it under fifty-five, so yeah. it wouldn't burn out. So we were going up this hill, and we get to the dip, and when we get to the dip, we're making our way back up the mountain, oh. and when oh, we yeah. when we get up to the mountain. We start overheating like crazy, and we probably spent maybe a good thirty minutes trying to get it up the hill. And it got to the point where we were just like, "There's no fucking way we're gonna be able to make this hill." So what? And I'm we, pretty sure you're in the middle. Oh, of fucking no! One hundred percent, dude. We were in the fucking desert. No and services I, so anywhere. Our solution was, we're gonna go back to the dip on the bottom. We're gonna wait until the evening, and once that time comes. Then we're going to make it up the hill. And sure enough, we waited till literally sunset, which was like 6, 630. Oh, I love stories like this, dude. Dude. And we were literally like, I remember Jobin, you know, we're putting water into the, yeah, to into the, the radiator. radiator yeah. Trying to do everything we can to make it work. And then once it reached sunset, we're like, fuck it, let's try it. And sure enough, we made it over the hill. Dude, you know the shitty part of that thing? What I've been realizing right now that I'm like uh, doing some trucking around the country now. There's no goddamn service. This nationwide oh, shit they talk about. Sucks, dude. <laughs> there's no service dude, out sucks, there man. or services. Dude, and you I, know? at the time I had T-Mobile, and unfortunately, <laughs> like I love T-Mobile because they're cheap, oh, but dude. their service fucking sucks. You get bro. what you pay for, guys. Exactly. Do you guys hear that? Uh, inspiring musicians that are like, I just can't wait to tour. Uh, yeah, this it, is the real deal here. Dude, okay, it, look, man, it was grimy, you know. Uh, not to sound gross, I would legit go five days without showering. Yeah, that's but exactly roaches and ramen, buddy. I will say, and you get sick all the time, so I would always have like this health kit, you know, with medicines and shit. Yeah. But I will say, man, like it really taught me to appreciate a fucking bed and a shower. Oh yeah, uh, because oh, yeah. I, dude, I have pictures where I'm literally in fetal position. With fucking like Mowgli or Aaron or Brett, like literally right next to me, being the little spoon, like, <laughs> it was it was grimy, bro, dude. Like there was one time to give you another tour story. Yes. We were we were up north, right? And the venue was like this warehouse. Uh, it was in Reading, I want to say, and 
the way we slept in the van, we didn't. T- so back in the day, we would take out the middle seat and put it outside. Yeah. But for whatever reason, we didn't do it this time. And so I slept in like the crevices of the fucking. Oh, the crevice. Dude, I was Mr. sleeping in the crevice. Yeah, dude. dude I was sleeping in the crevices yes. of the seats. Yes. With a big ass like Mexican blanket with the tiger on it. Got to. And, uh,. Aaron slept on the dashboard because he's tiny, tiny, so or tinier, right? Uh, so it was literally like you know seven dudes, and on top of that, we didn't have a trailer. That's what so, that's what Aaron was telling me, man. That it was crammed, dude. In there, so dude. we didn't have a trailer, so we would pack all our shit in the back, yeah, and then we would have like two seats, and then the the you know the driver and the passenger side, yeah. So we would all just be crammed in there. Sleeping in any crevice that we can get yeah. into, and then that was the way we. And slept just to in. point out, you might have had the tiger, but if you have the Aztec guy, you're a lot warmer. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, I had the tiger, unfortunately. So. No, yeah. but dude, it's but you know they were it was grimy, right? It was at times uh, a struggle. Yeah, but I mean, you guys are pissing in cups, dude. Yeah, just but, because you want the van to continue. You don't even want to stop just the in case oh, but you know what you're driving, you know? It was the experience of touring and I did multiple tours. It was some of the best experiences of my life. But man. you didn't miss out. That's no. one key thing that I got to point out. You didn't miss out. We didn't miss out. I know that people can can measure success in many ways, but to me, that's successful. If you toured, you check you, you like checked off a dream you wanted you and not know? only that man uh getting to see different places different states seeing different cultures food that changes you by the yeah, way yeah you know and so not to sound corny but there's this group you know them very well ghost inside love they, they have an album called returners yes so at that time uh that was heavy on my playlist and I was really into uh, Jonathan Vigil's lyrics and oh, what yeah. the They're album. Deep, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Deep, and knowing deep. what the album was about. And so I remember looking into the meaning of that album. And it was very similar to how I felt once I started to experience touring. And once the I. The power of music, gentlemen. Once I. Ladies and gentlemen. Sorry. Would come home. Uh you know returners is really much it's pretty much an album about you constantly leaving home and you know exploring different cities you know going out and doing it and then coming back and then when you come back it's not the same as it was Mm -hmm. and almost feeling a sense of home when you're on the road right um and that's how i started to feel because well well in reality those four wheels and that in that van is your home. Oh, 100%. And um, speaking of albums that speak like that, um, I remember, I did remember uh, coming out with For Those Who Have Heart. Mm-hmm. That album is all about touring and all about describing that I'm not home, but I'm home being in here with my brothers. Yeah, 100%, you know? dude. Um, I That's how I felt, you know, and I remember I would come home and... It almost felt like friendships that you've had, uh, relationships that you've had, whatever it may be, were starting to 
be a little different. Like you, you know, not you know, not to sound fucked up, but it almost it, became it, like you can't compete. Like the whatever it, relationships you yeah, have, like it, you, they can't compete when you're out there in the trenches with these people. Yeah, having the same passion as you have, one hundred percent. And, and it almost at first, it was a little bit of a struggle, man, because you know, at the time, I was definitely the type of person where, you know, the friends that I had at the time were like those guys were my. Like that, those are my boys, the you know, boys, and, and they weren't in the music scene. They were doing different things. You know, right. everybody has their own thing, you know, preferences of what they like to do. Right. You know, so when I would leave and I would go out, that's an experience in itself. And you're out for, you know, a month, two months, yes. whatever it may be. Yes. And you come home and it's drastically different. And that was something at first that. Agreed. I had to really take the time to adjust and like realize like, yo, dude, life's moving on. It's just when you it, leave. Well, you know? because you leave the bubble that everybody just spins around themselves in. Like if you're here in L.A., this is the only bubble, you know, then you only even if you leave like 100 miles out of the city, totally different world. Yeah, totally different world. And if you go a thousand miles east, way different world, different people different dialogues it's just goes and you get to see how beautiful this country really is so yeah. this whole narrative that we just hear out you know either in the bubble or at this time the media it's really not what that is yeah you have to experience and especially when you go abroad or you go to another country from the stories that I hear, and I haven't been outside the country, but from the stories that I've heard and, you know, just talking and shooting the shit with someone or sharing, you know, sharing a cigarette with someone a good five minutes, you get to understand. If you lived it, you get to understand their point of view mm. of what this country's all about. Yeah. For you know? Sure. It for sure. really is. Yeah, man. Um, and that's, I mean, that's how I felt, man. I felt more at home when I was touring than when I was actually at my own house. Um, that's why I consider ourselves lucky. Yeah, man. Um, Especially with this pandemic, after this pandemic where people are not touring, where it did affect, like there's so many inactive stages in the country right now where like, seriously, we didn't miss out. And the people that still are musicians and want to do that, you have no idea of what it takes to do something like that. It's definitely, it's, it, it's a lot of work. 100%. And I feel like grind. I'm hoping that at a certain point we get to some sort of normality where we will be able to have that opportunity um, because I'm, I tell you, man, that's for me, that is one of the greatest experiences that, right. that I ever had. Yes. Um, because not so much the playing side of things, you know, performing shows like that was great, but it's getting to see different cultures and different cities and seeing how they went about living their lives and the food right so all that you know particularly with new mexico yes texas the land of enchantment dude those two states for me in particular um just their food and i I love food i'm a fat ass green chili buddy dude like even get it even when it came down to the food it's so drastically Mm, different than la yeah. Um, and I think that's what it, that's what it did. It got me out of my bubble of LA. Yeah. Which either of, you miss it and you, you know, or, or you appreciate it more when you come back. Cause it's just totally different. It's not, I'm not saying that it's shittier or anything like it's not, mm-hmm. but it, it's it, just a different, it's a different thing. And I will tell you what, what I will tell you what, 
what what the miles did for me. Me sitting in a van and looking outside through those beautiful mountains, me be just staring at like the the country or these long miles. I got to really get to know myself. Like you start self-reflecting. You start self-reflecting when you're like, you start finding yourself through these long miles, you know? Um, for example, when you're in the desert and it's nighttime, you only see the road. And just to stay, just to stay like awake, you want to be able to just, you know, you start either thinking about the next project, you start thinking about yourself, your life, where you're at. You, and you start, I, I remember that I would romanticize like myself having a cigarette either like in a mountain in a cold when it's snowing or in the East Coast, like on the coast, like either in Rhode Island or and we're being in Florida, like being hot and just, just muggy. But you're like glad to be there and it doesn't bother you whatsoever, you know. So one of those, that's what I got from touring from touring is I got to really get to know myself and what I really wanted, because at that moment, that was my home. There was a lot of times where I was touring and I knew that I didn't have a home to go to that. And that's when that's where I based the roaches and ramen, because you're out there like a nomad. And you're, but you're doing what you love doing. So you, you, you start, you, you kind of escape your reality from the bubble. So that's what the, that's what touring did for me. And if anyone out there that's a musician and wants to do that, I, I want you guys to take that into account because you kind of grow, you grow as a person with these long miles. And then you get to know the person right next to you even deeper of who they are. So that's why these, these, you know, these miles and, being with your brothers there this is why it, it makes you so close together where you're sharing where when you share that last peanut butter and jelly you break it into four or five just to kind of get by because you got to get to the next venue you got to play and you got to make sure you get that guarantee just so you guys can get the dollar menu the dollar <laughs> menu becomes like the dollar menu becomes like that great thing to, to, you, oh, know, to get, you know i still remember uh you know our the money that we would get for like the guarantees of the shows, like it wasn't a lot, Wait, nah. but it was, or it was just, just a door deal. And then, you know, 60 people just but showed up. It was enough like, for us to get our food, pay gas and go to the next state, you know, and, you know, kind of, uh, changing the subject here with roaches and ramens. Yeah. Um, I do feel that, you know, listening to Aaron's episode, for, uh, I feel like that was a pretty significant episode. It really was. For the Roaches and Ramens podcast because uh, you really got in-depth with a guest. I mean, right. it's always because I know the format is typically, you know, just you and Jopin. Yeah. Just you guys yeah. talking and, you know, just shooting the shit, talking right. about the, you know, the grind. The grind, yeah. But once you had Aaron on that podcast, I feel like there was like a paradigm shift where. It really was, dude. Uh, it really was. Even at me as a, as a podcaster, it just, it, 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 it really c cemented the fact that this is where my passion lies yeah. about podcasting. And I felt that too, man. Listening to the episode, it really was inspiring for me because, um, you know, when I had the idea with the podcast, I originally was like, you know what? I'll do like 20, 30 minutes. And that'll be it, which is solid, which is 20, cool, yeah, which is cool. 
But it wasn't until I heard your podcast and I heard really, you know, with Aaron, him allowing himself to open up and get in depth with the things that he went to. And you guys just kind of yeah. piggybacking off of that. Yeah. It really motivated me to want to get to that level, to, to get to yeah. the level of really getting in depth with people. Yeah. You know, for me, this podcast um, is exactly what you guys did. Yeah. Wanting to highlight this, you know, people that I have on and knowing what their grind is. And so I feel with Rogers and Romans, once you did that, right. there was like this whole different dynamic to the show. Thank you. Um, but what I want to ask is sure. as far as feedback from people that have heard that episode, right. you know, what are some of the feedbacks that you're hearing? Because, you know, for the people that listen, it's typically you and Jobin. Right. Um, and then when you had Aaron on, I do. I mean, I like to think that you had more people kind of listening to that. episode. Uh, yes, definitely. Um, the feedback was this. It reflected exactly what the show is meant to be. You know, for example, Chili's in the Bowl, it's about highlighting the winning. When you win, that's where Chili's in the Bowl yeah, came to, right? That's, yeah, where, I mean, that that's was... where it came from, right? Like that, that saying, that became that group saying, that cult saying that you guys had. Uh, for Roaches and Ramen, it, it highlighted what the come, ups, the come up's all about. So usually from, like, for example, uh, a couple of coworkers that do listen to the podcast, they're like, man, that podcast... It got me grinding, man. Like I now, I now I just I want to be more than a mover. I want to be this, or yeah. or they, they or they start seeing the in depth. They get to know me a little deeper of me knowing these other people because they know that hey, I come from somewhere, somewhere that I wasn't. I don't want to say privileged, you know, but I, at least I was privileged to be in a situation for me to become who I am now. So the 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 so the the feedback that I got is that I'm not alone. If I'm in a certain position, I'm going to get out of that position no matter what. And that's so key, dude. So, so key. key. So key. And that's the passion that I have for my podcast is that I want to re I want people that are working out there. They're on their 13th hour of work or because they have to have that over time or they have to drive to the next day. They're truckers and they're just listening to this because they don't want to fall asleep on the road. It just gets them excited about who they are, especially in this pandemic, especially right now where it's become a reset, you know? And that's how I see it too, man. Um, which is why I wanted to start the podcast. You know, like yeah, you said it yourself. I'm so, I'm so glad, John, that you're doing this, man. It just, <laughs> it, it just because... He, the people that are so far that have been in your in your podcast, they have their story and they have their own experiences that are relatable to the person that's listening. to. And right that's now. ultimately why I wanted to highlight them, um, because I feel like these are people in my life that are doing incredible things. Right. Uh, but they're no different to somebody that is working. Uh, a nine to five or working that 13th hour right. in their shift uh, and or don't know if they're going to make rent yeah, or know, they don't know if they're and their especially cell phone, right now they're, they're like he, they're on their third extension. So they're, you know, without a phone, they, they don't know if work's going to call them all that stuff. It's temporary guys. Yeah, it's a 100%. temporary thing. So if you're in that spot and you want to get out of the spot, then, then don't have any more excuses. Don't, don't, don't like uh how do you say that word um just 
don't slack off kind of don't don't say things do them you yeah. know and, and don't also proc- no, procrastinate yeah there sorry. you go and i mean and also too man uh since this is so new it's only i mean the way i see it it's only gonna grow it is it's only gonna grow but that phrase "chilies in the bowl" that is something that me and the boys. It's the winning. It's it, the winning. It, it was phrase, always man. when there was always something like a success yes. or something that we felt was a situation that was, um, good all around. We'd be like, "Yo, chilies in the bowl, chilies, chilies in the bowl," and that's you know a why I'm I so decided glad. to name the podcast "Chilies in the Bowl." And you know what? We're not. I I I wish I could be doing it weekly. You know, I, I listen to a lot of like big podcasts out there and they, you know, they're putting content out weekly, but that's not my case. I'm still a father. Mm-hmm. I still have life. I still have goals. Do I want to do content weekly? Yes. But that I can at this moment, it's a little hard to, but I will. Yeah. I'll I mean, find the time. I, I think the key is consistency, man. Yeah. And it's not, um, it's not about like me wanting to be big. I just want to reach out. To that youngin or to someone that honestly, it's either if you're coming up, if you're going through it or if you've gone through it and want to reflect back on why you're now on top. That's what Roaches and Ramen's all about. It's about remembering where you come from. And I feel like in that moment, we there's no other way to cap off this podcast brother thank you you know what thank i mean i think so you much. said it perfectly it's, it's, seriously it's it's really an honor to be here you're my boy bro i'm i know this podcast is gonna be huge thank you brother i feel it in my bones and i want nothing but the best for chillis and the bull so people if you're out there please share this or share his other go to his catalog hear this out there's more to come but this is the reason why we're doing it and let me tell you i am I'm sitting next to one of the most talented people I know that I know. And that is not even an exaggeration, guys. So I love my boy. I love I love Chili's in the Bowl. And I want nothing but success for you. Thank you, my brother. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming to the Chili's in the Bowl ha- studio. Thank you for having me here. Seriously. I love you, brother. Love and you. We're going to do another one. I always tell of my course. guests that. But because we have such a good time doing it. Oh, yeah. And, st- so. and stay tuned, guys, because John Gill is going to be in Rochester Ramen That's right. in a couple weeks. And I can't wait to have him in there because then I'm going to get into the, I, dude, the questions that I have for you, buddy. <laughs> I'm ready Let's for the questions, it. man. All right. All right, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, everybody. Peace. Peace.